Good morning, church. Amen. Hopefully you are excited about Esther today. How many have enjoyed this series? Say an amen. 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 I've really enjoyed studying it tonight. Today, we are winding it up. All right, because we have two chapters. So open your Bibles to Esther chapter 6. And we're going to look at chapter 6 and chapter 7 this morning. All right. And kind of bring it all to a conclusion. So let me see if I this up for us, all right? <clears throat> Chapter 1, we have King Xerxes throwing a party, a six-month party. Kind of, I remember your, your uh, freshman year of college, that's what it was like. He, he literally, everybody got to come and they got to drink as much booze as they wanted for six months and seven days, all right? And he got a little bit high in the spirits, and he got drunk, and he decided to have his queen uh, Vashti parade around with just her crown on, and she said no. So the king got angry and basically banished her from the, the, the palace where he was. He, she couldn't see him for the rest of her life. So then basically a divorce. And so chapter 2, he, the people come up with this idea, let's get a new queen. And in his providence, here with my mic, uh, God in his providence uh, allowed Esther all right, to be chosen as queen. And so that's chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, we had this guy come out of nowhere, Mordecai, or, or excuse me, Haman, and Haman decides um, to buy his position in the kingdom. And so the king said that when he drove down the street in his nice Corvette, oh, excuse me, Mustang Sally, all right, he, he drove his Mustang down the road, everybody bowed to Haman, all right, except two guys. Mordecai refused to bow down, so everybody's bowing down except Mordecai, and this furiates Haman. He's the joker in our story, all right, so he's infuriated, so he comes up with this idea that on certain day next year, March chapter, or March 7th, he's going to kill not just Mordecai, but every single Jew in the Persian uh, empire, which was how many? 15 million Jews were going to die on that day. Now, it wasn't just that the kingdom was going to carry this out. Anybody in the kingdom that was, if they killed the Jew, they got his what? They got their possessions, they got money, they got their Mustangs, all right? Everything that they owned, if you were, if you were a neighbor of a Jew and you killed them, you got to enlarge your property, so to speak, all right? So this was and then uh, just uh, uh, something to motivate everybody to make sure all the Jews were dead, all right? So that's where we, we, we see the story. I mean, it just, it's, it's just kind of a mess. And so the Mordecai, which is Esther's uncle, which is adopted father, he goes to the palace and he begins to fast and pray. And he tells the queen that she needs to approach the king. This is his daughter, adopted daughter, uh, honey, you need to approach the king and ask him to reverse this law about the Jews being wiped out. And she says, I, I, I can't. Nobody can approach the king unless they're invited. Because if he approached the king, if he didn't receive you, instantly the two guards on both sides would come and whack off her head. Great times to live in. Amen? Great times. All right? If you're white, 
came to approach you and, and you didn't ask her. I mean, she could be put to death. All right. So interesting times. All right. So so uh, so Mordecai tells Esther, I mean, who knows if God has brought you to the kingdom for what? Such a time as this. All right. Follow me. That's just that's where we are. So so she finally understands. Yeah, God brought me to be this queen for such a time as this. And so God does want me to approach the king. So she asked the whole entire empire, the Jews, to fast and pray for how long? Three days. And so they did. And so she approaches the king. Now we're, we're winding this down, all right? We're coming to the end. So she approaches the king, and when she approached, the king held out his golden scepter. It's a sign of, yes, you can approach. So she comes in, and she, the queen wants to know, what do you want? What do you want? And so she says, I want you to come to a banquet. I'll tell you what I want. But bring Haman. He's the joker. He's the wicked guy. So they come to this, this uh, banquet. And uh, um, so the king says, okay, here I am. What do you want? And it was another banquet. It was just cheese and wine and fruits, stuff like that. It wasn't a real a lot of food. She says, well, come to the next banquet tomorrow night, and I'll give you my request. All right? And so... Um, Haman leaves, he's the wicked guy, from the presence of the, of the queen and the king, and he's walking down the street, he comes to the gates, and there's Mordecai, the Jew. But he doesn't bow again. So it makes Haman very angry, and this is where we wound up last week, very upset. And so he goes home and tells his wife and tells his friends about this, and they said, you know what you ought to do? You just need to kill Mordecai tomorrow. You need to build a gallow, tonight and the gallow isn't like the westerns where you you build this arm and this 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 uh, gate down there and you pull the gate and the guy falls through and hangs and he's until he's dead by his neck that's not what it did Haman was going to build this and it says right there in chapter five the 75 foot high stick which was sharpened on one end that bring it down and they would impel Mordecai and then take it back up and wrap him there. So he's literally, it's, it's Persia's way of crucifying. The Roman Empire uh, perfected it to the way it was Christ's time. But this was the Persians' crucifixion. All night long. Okay, this takes us to chapter 7, chapter 6. All night long, listen very carefully. He's been preparing this gallop. In the morning, he's going to approach the king and say, can I impel Haman? Okay? Bring chapter 6. Everybody open your Bibles. Esther, chapter 6. We're going to be verse 1. Verse 1, that night. Okay? This is the night. The night before Mordecai dies. Now, the thing in your, in your notes, look at the top there. It says the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility. That's what we're going to talk about in chapter 6 and chapter 7. So that night that Haman is preparing all this, the king goes to bed, but notice what it says. The king had trouble sleeping. <laughs> Have you ever had trouble sleeping? And you wake up, and I, like me, I, I'll get up in the middle of the night and say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want me? And usually I'm always thinking, okay, who do you want me to pray for? And I specifically remember during the week who called or who texted or whatever one to pray for. And I begin to pray until I go back asleep again. That's what happened here. The king cannot sleep. Look what it says. He ordered the attendant 
to bring the book of history of his reign so he could have it read to him. Now, reigning for 11 years now, you can't get any more boring than that, can you? Read me the history. All right. We're talking scroll after scroll after scroll, probably hundreds of scrolls, because they didn't have books back then. They had scrolls, and you roll it out, and then you write all this history, and you roll it back up, and then you put it away. And so there's this probably wall, hundreds of scrolls of all the details of his reign. Okay, so he orders one of the um, attendants to go grab it. Look at verse 2. In those records, he discovered, all right, he discovered something. Just so happened an account of Mordecai had exposed the plot, the Bigtha, remember Bigtha, and Tersha, two of the eunuchs, remember they ended up being eunuch kebabs, remember that? He impelled them. Okay, eunuchs who guarded the door, the king's private quarters, and Mordecai, they had plotted to kill the king to assassinate, and yet Mordecai exposed that. Basically, Mordecai saved his life. Look at verse 2, or verse 3. So the king says, okay, guys, what reward did we give Mordecai? Notice their reply. Nothing has been done, in verse 3, nothing has been done for him. So in the middle of the night, the king's reading or having them read the scroll, and it just so happens they read about Mordecai. Mordecai saved the king's life back in chapter 4, remember? Saved the king's life. And now, by chance, it just so happens that they grabbed the scroll that had Mordecai's detail of saving the king's life just before Mordecai's going to die. Haman's going to kill him this morning. Now, I want to propose to you that even though God's name is never written once in the book of Esther, it has the hand, the fingerprints of God all through its pages. I'm simply here to tell you this wasn't an accident. This was the sovereignty of God working behind the scenes. Why? Why would God do Because God had Mordecai's back. He had Esther's back. I was listening to this song. I go to the gym and I listen to some, some wacky songs sometimes. And there's this wacky song that came on and, it said happy. Man, I thought, oh. So I listened to it. It was fantastic. It was completely wrong, but it was fantastic. Then this same gal, her last name is Lewis. Leon, Leanne Lewis. How many have heard of her? You heard of her? Amen. She's good, huh? Okay. See, there's another song that she sang right after that. It was, I Got You. And I'm listening to this. It's talking about this girl who's got this guy's back. And I'm studying this. God has got this. Isn't that good? I mean, it's just, just powerful as God's moving behind the scenes, orchestrating this. Now, this is just the beginning. Let's keep going. Okay? So the king has, has this reading. He hears this, he hears this noise in the background. So the king says, who's in my palace? Haman had come early. He had come early to the king so he could ask for Haman's head, so to speak, all right? And so, uh, look at verse uh, 6. Second part says, Haman thought, or, or so the king said, so Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who pleases, who truly pleases me? <laughs> okay, this is fantastic. Okay, so Haman, Haman thought to himself, who would the king wish to honor more than me? 
You ever been there? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is so good. The guy walks in and says, it's me. He's talking about me, so I'm going to tell him what to do for me. Listen to the description, and I'm not going to read because we don't have time. So the king says, what should I do for him? Haman says, you know, you ought to put a robe, the robe that you wear as king, put it on his back. He's thinking, I'm going to get the word of this. Put this guy on the horse, your horse that you ride on. Put your crown on him and let him ride through the street. And your, your most powerful attendants, the most, the most, uh, uh, your right-hand man, let him run through the streets saying, this is what happens when you please the king. So all of a sudden, down in verse 10, the king says, excellent, excellent. Listen to what it says. The king said to Haman, quickly, take the robe and my horse and do what you have said for Mordecai, the Jew. (laughs) Is it just me? Or is this fantastic? The guy thinks it's me. You know, he came in to tell the king, would you impel Mordecai? But instead, God turns it around and God says, Okay, all that you said, the guy that you're going to kill, of course, the king doesn't know anything about this yet. The guy you're going to kill, put him on my horse, put my robe on him, put my crown, and you, Mordecai, you, Haman, you run through the streets <laughs> and you scream as loud as you can that this is the man. Is that good or what? I mean, you talk about deject. This guy was the one that, that, that Haman was dejected because he wouldn't bow. Now, now Haman's running down. This is the man. Okay, it's fantastic. All right. The sovereignty of God, it works behind the scenes to bring about God's plan for his children. Now, here's the thought. Look in your notes. And I, I, I said this right off the bat, but we skipped it. All right. Write these things down. So that means you have to go back to the back. All right. It says, when things appear to be falling apart... They may be falling into place. Okay? When things appear to be falling apart in your life, which all of us go through those circumstances, what you need to understand is it could be that God is behind the scenes and he's literally bringing everything into position to bless you, to lift you up, to use you. I mean, it's such a powerful truth. So it was, a, it was a night of discovery. It was a morning of decision. It, it, it's just fantastic. Now, you think it stops there. It doesn't. So look, look down at verse 13 of 6. We're still here. Well, first, first of all, in chapter 7, it says, After Mordecai returned to the, palace, the gate palace, but Haman hurried home dejected and completely humiliated okay so Haman remember he's the joker he's the bad guy and so he comes home and his wife says whoa um you know there's nothing you can do he goes on to say so then we come to chapter seven okay now we have this showdown okay so remember that second banquet we talked about last week here they are okay verse one of chapter seven so the king and Haman went to the queen Esther's banquet on the second occasion while they were drinking wine have you you ever have you ever heard of such people drinking so much wine I mean every chapter every other verse this king loves him some wine 
I mean, that's what he's always doing. Okay? The king again said to Esther, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. Come on, come on, come on. Tell, 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 tell me. You ever, you ever feel like that sometimes with your wives? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it's called real life, right? Men. Don't you just wish your wife would tell you what she wants? Does <laughs> somebody said he's treading on thin ice up there? Does somebody say that? I heard it. I mean, we don't know what you want. I mean, the hints are great. I tell my counselor, I, mean, I said, honey, he don't get it. Okay, hence men just don't get. Can I hear an amen, men? Just tell us, flat out. Tell us, write it down, and then grab our face and say, look. Amen? Just, has your wife ever done that? Grab your face and say, now listen. Anybody done that? No, not you grabbing hers, her grabbing yours. All right, brother. All right, so he finally says, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Okay? And that's just, again, it's like, you know, on It's a Wonderful Life. It's like, you want the moon? You want the moon? I'll wrestle it. I'll bring it down to you. That's, that's the thought. Really not going to do it. Esther replied, if I found, verse 3, if I found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant me my request, I ask that my life and the life of my people be spared. Now listen to her wording here. For my people, if my people had been sold, uh, or my people had been sold to be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated, if we had just been merely sold into slavery, I could remain quiet. And, and it would be a trivial thing, a trivial matter to warrant disturbing the king. But it's not. Now notice what the king says. Who would do such a thing? You can just hear this. Who would dare to touch my wife? And she goes. This wicked Haman. And Haman's sitting there. You know, remember what, chapter 5? I'll be the man. All of a sudden things have turned. And this is like a. Oh crap moment. Can I hear it? Can we say crap in church? (laughs) Too late, right? All right. This is, it's real life, right? This is one of those moments. I mean, and he was the only man that was, that was invited to this. It's just a king, just a queen, and it's just him. And he was so pumped up. And now he's the one that's after the queen. After the queen and her people. Look at this. Okay, so who would be so presumptuous? Verse, she replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale, you think? <laughs> I mean, his jaw dropped 10 blocks before the king and before the queen. Then the king jumped up to his feet, what? In a rage. And went out into the palace garden. So you can just picture it. He jumps up, walks out there. He's got to figure out what to do, okay? So Haman doesn't leave. Haman, however, stays behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. Now now follow this. For he knew that the king had intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on 
on the couch where the Queen Esther was reclining. Now, picture this. What kind of couch did they have back then? Remember chapter 1? Gold. Okay? Silver. So she probably was sitting on a gold couch. Made of gold. I, I, I don't get it. But so in despair, he falls down, going to plead for his life. But in, before he can do that, notice what happens. Because the king's pondering, okay, how can I, how can I kill this, this Haman? Well, how can I legally put him to death? Well, we're going to show you how right here, all right? However, it stays behind, verse 8. And so he, he falls on the couch just as the king was returning from the palace garden. (laughs) And the king exclaimed, will he also assault the queen right here in the palace right before my very eyes? So he has now reason to kill him. As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's head, signifying his doom. You can't get better than this. The hand of God is behind the scenes. Then Harboa, uh, one of the king's eunuchs, he's still got some eunuchs left, said to Haman, or said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that's, that's 75 foot tall. In his courtyard, he intended to use it to impel Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. And the king said, then impel Haman on it. Uh, isn't that a good story i just i just i just love god and his awesome power how he literally turned the ship around so what we have here and we're going to get into our takeaways all right but before we do let's just get the picture the sovereignty of god is in chapter six i mean just working behind the scenes and moving in the lives of his children who are fasting and praying and pleading with god to move he begins to move and he turns things from i mean mordecai is going to die the next morning it doesn't look good you ever been there when you think tomorrow's it it's three thirty in the morning tomorrow could be the surgery or whatever it is you could lose your job. Or how am I going to find it? It could be anything. Your wife's sick. Your husband's sick. I mean, there could be. And God shows up at the last minute. I mean, Mordecai was going to die. And then God shows up that very morning. Isn't that good? I mean, God, God's working behind this. So you see the sovereignty of God. Then you, see, then you see decisions that are being made. All right? Esther. Okay? Fasting and praying. She's approaching the king, and she's asking for the life of 15 million Jews. Mordecai still fasting, still praying. And they're all doing their part as God is doing his part. And all of a sudden, God shows up and miraculously destroys the enemy who was trying to kill the Jews, his people. You can always bank on it. If you're saved, you're a child of God, and Satan is not going to get the victory. You may think it's almost over, but guess what? God is going to win. There's no way around it. But you have to do your part. All right, so let's let's have some takeaways as we look at this, all right? Now, here's the takeaway. There's good news and there's bad news, all right? Which one do you want first? When people come to me, I always say, yeah, give me the bad news. Because I want the good news to be the last thing. So that I'm um, excited, all right? Doesn't this story remind you of the Wizard of Oz movie when you were young? Am I the only one? Where, where at the very end, the Wicked Witch gets water poured on her. 
That is my favorite part. How many, how many are with me? I'm melting. I mean, what's the worst part? I still sometimes think of those flying monkeys. Anybody like that? I mean, just, it's, it's still scary. All right? Good part. Okay, so the good news and the bad news. So let's take the bad news first. The bad news is this. Okay? We harvest what we plant. We harvest what we plant. Haman was harvesting according to his flesh. Listen what Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 say. Look what we have on the screen here. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Now, I really want you to grab a hold of this. You, this is God's word, to you, you will, what's that one word? Always. Don't think for a moment that you're not going to reap what you plant. I'm from Nebraska for the last 30 years. When they would plant corn, guess what would come up? Wasn't, it wasn't soybeans, okay? It was corn. When they planted beans, guess what come up? So don't be misled. When you sow, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You always harvest what you plant. All right, look at verse 8. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful natures, all right, that's the application. This is the bad news. Okay, this is bad news. Okay, will harvest decay and destruction from that sinful nature. Okay, here's the thought. Okay, you say, how does this apply to my life? There are consequences for living apart from God's plan. There are always consequences for living apart from God's word. Okay? You always harvest what you plant. Don't be surprised. Listen very carefully. Don't be surprised if you do not invest in your marriage, all right, and it doesn't last. Don't be surprised if you don't plant words of kindness, words of encouragement, words of love, words of nurturing, and just building up your spouse. Don't, don't, if you don't do that, don't be surprised if you're negative and nothing they can do right, and you're just constantly nagging them. Don't be surprised if you don't reap what you sow, because you're going to. What does it say? You always, bad news, right? You always reap what you sow. Can I hear an amen? Oh, me. Right? Bad news. Bad news. All right? Same thing with the kids. Don't think for a moment. Parents, when you're sowing into your children, that you're going to read something different than you sow. If you sow in, you know, fleshly things, don't be surprised that your children act like fleshly people. If you... If you don't give them the word of God and you don't plant in them spiritual truths and you don't plant in them uh, biblical principles or godly examples, okay, biblical principles, godly examples where you're in church and churches mean something to you. It's, it's valuable. If you don't do that, don't think for a moment or don't be surprised when your kid doesn't like church or wants nothing to do with God. 
Again, bad news, right? Debbie Downer, Fleeny Downey, Downer, all right? That, 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 I mean, it's not good news. Same thing financially. If you live according to this world financially and not according to the 2,300 verses that have to do with money in the Bible, if you don't, if you don't live according to those principles, don't think for a moment, don't be surprised, I should say, when you're in debt and you're striving to come up with money to pay the bills and you're in bondage, you're in pressure, you don't have freedom, you're constantly in pressure to pay. The... Amen? How about your life? Why am I, why am I so unsatisfied? Why am, I, why am I just so, you know, constantly discouraged? It, you know, it's probably because you're not sowing the word of God. Because God wants to bless you. Okay. Let me give you a bad question. Again, bad news, right? Let me give you a question. All right, look at your notes. What seeds are you planting today that you will regret when they come up tomorrow? <laughs> uh, this is bad news. I'm here done with bad news. I'm done with bad news. You done with bad news? <laughs> are you done with bad news? Hey, man. I want some good news. All right, so look at your notes. Here's the good news. Everybody say ready for it. Okay, here it is. What we harvest, or we harvest what we plant. That's good news, isn't it? Why didn't you get excited? It, it, the bad news is you harvest what you plant. The good news is you harvest what you plant. I mean, you can control this thing. You and I can change this thing. Your marriage is going bad. Guess what you can do? You can change it. You can now start pouring into your spouse how much you love them and how much you care and how wonderful they are. Even if they're not at that moment. Because your treatment of this isn't based on their actions, is it? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Come on. Amen. You guys are... I can tell when you're under conviction because you're quiet. I'm just saying this is good news. This is fantastic stuff. You have a second chance. You do. You can start over again with your marriage. You can start over again with your kids. Oh, yeah, I messed up. Church wasn't important. I just haven't been going. I haven't been given to God. I, I, finances are a mess. I, the good news is you can start again. Why? Here's the truth. God wants to bless you. There's no way around it. You're his children, and he wants to back the truck up out of heaven, and he wants to part the clouds, and he wants to pour out blessings on Tim Fleener. And on you. We just have to be blessable people. This is where human responsibility comes in. We have to get ourselves in the place of blessings. Because the promises, many of the promises of God that bring down the blessings are conditional promises like financial. This is a phrase we're going to hear over and over this new, this new year. We at Real Life want to act our wage. <laughs> Isn't that good? We want to act our wage. What does that mean? Well, it means you put God first in your finances, saving second, and then the rest is living on. Isn't that easy? Just so simple. Amen? 
act your wage. All right? And that will put you in the place, I promise you, where God will literally, and it says that in Malachi, it literally says that God will bless you so much that you can't receive it. In other words, you're saying, God, stop blessing me. I can't handle it. Wouldn't you like to be there? That's what it says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's right there in Scripture. He wants to bless. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Let's go to New Testament. Give and shall be given to you. Press down. I, I do this ice cream floats. How many like ice cream floats? Yeah, of course, I have to have the skinny ice cream you know, and the Diet Coke, you know, but it's still good. I get to have ice cream. Okay, you smash it down. Anybody like that? I put half of the tub in this little coffee cup. I just keep smashing and smashing it. I love ice cream. And you put Diet Coke on it. it can't, it's even better than root beer. Not Diet Pepsi, Diet Coke. All right? So my point is pressing down. That's what Scripture says. Given it shall be given unto you. Press down. I didn't make that up. It's biblical. But then when you press it, then you shake it. That's what it says. Shaking. Running over. Shall men, God uses men, shall give back to you. You can't get any better news than that. The problem is we, I'm not giving. I'm taking. <laughs> and we hoard and we just, we spend and we act like the world. And, and, and so we need this truth change we need to change our thinking change our philosophy this is god's book he is sovereign behind the scene he wants to bless us but we got to get to the place of blessing we got to start again teaching our kids that god is important he's everything we got to teach our kids the church is important this is our family right here we got to convince our kids and they see the real us they don't see just the sunday morning they see the monday morning they see the Saturday night. They see the real you. They're not, listen very carefully, they're not doped. We can bring masks and put them on in church. How many put on a mask at church? Sometimes. sometimes. You got this, you, this, you're mad. <laughs> you ever been like that in church where you get in a fight in the car with your wife? <laughs> it's never happened to me, never. You know. That's why all these years I go to church early on Sunday morning. And she got the six kids ready by herself. Oh, that's terrible, Fleener. But it kept peace. <laughs> I'd go at 5 o'clock in the morning, prepare, pray, all that stuff. And she was getting the six children calling me every second. Would you talk to your son? No, I'm just, I just make all that up. It wasn't reality, all right? So you ever do that and you walk in church and, how you doing? I'm doing great. Anybody like that? This is real church. Come on. Raise your hand. All right. There's at least three of us in here. All right. The kids see that. We have this second chance that we can begin practicing the truth so our kids can see that we really love God. We really love God's family. All right. So we got to get ourselves into the place of blessing. So here's another question. All right. Here's the question. On the, on the good side of things, all right? Look at your notes there, all right? I'll look here. What seeds are you planting today 
that will put you into the place of blessing. What seeds are you planting today? Okay, so we're winding this down. What seeds? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ your Savior. I don't know. Okay? So maybe you need to trust Christ your Savior. That's the seed you need to plant. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe that's the seed you need to plant. Because the first step of obedience after salvation is publicly tell the world, I belong to Christ. I'm publicly announcing it. I am a child of God. And I'm, a, I'm publicly saying, I love this family. All right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not walking with God. Maybe that's the, the position. You need, to, you need to deal with whatever's constantly working in your life so that you can get in the place of Esther, Mordecai, and the 15 million Jews who fasted and prayed and got God's blessings on their life. Maybe you need to start by studying the Word of God. Maybe you need to start by witnessing. Maybe you need to start by investing in other people are inviting people to church. Here, here, here's, here's the bottom line. The Holy Spirit speaks in when we get together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He speaks to the foolishness of preaching. Guaranteed. So as, I, up, up, as I'm up here speaking, God is stirring in the hearts of these people. He's stirring in my heart. He's stirring in your heart. He's already spoke to us. And whatever he's pointed out to you, you need to right there where you're at. You need to cry out and say, God, I want to deal with this thing that's, that's keeping me from being in the place of blessing. It's keeping me from being blessable. That's a fleener word, all right? It's keeping me in the place of blessable. So God, I need to deal with that. Help me, Lord, to deal with this issue. Whatever he spoke to you about. Let's all stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. We're not going to have this formal invitation where you come forward or anything like that. But this is just for you and God. All right? Are you blessable? Have you gotten your life into position spiritually where God can back up the truck and just dump blessings so much so that you say, God, that's enough, that's enough, I can't handle anymore. So the next few moments, you and God, heads bowed, eyes closed. It's just you and God. Cry out to God because God wants to bless you. He really does. That's the takeaway from this message today. He's behind the scenes and he's working and he's moving. He's doing his part. But in order for the sovereignty of God to, to completely be involved, not in the deeper way, because he brought you to himself, but there's some, sometimes our sin can stand in the way from him completely blessing us. In other words, there's so many promises that are conditional. We've got to meet those conditions. So right where you are, just cry out to God. Say, God, help me to get into place spiritually that you can bless me financially that you can bless me my family life as your heads are bowed understand this it's not an accident that some families are blessed they're planting the right seeds in their children and they're harvesting as Galatians says eternal life 
It's not by accident that, that God's blessing these marriages. It's not accident that God is blessing these people financially. It's not an accident. It's God. Oh, and I just cry out for you this morning. Drag yourself to the place where God can bless you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Hopefully this is a time where you do that. Just cry out to God. Just you and the Lord. Father, on the behalf of all of us here this morning, Lord, we just, we are so pumped about seeing you work in the life of Esther and Mordecai and all the 15 million Jews. Lord, it encourages our heart. It just strengthens our faith. God, we just want to say how much we love you. And Father, we cry out this morning, we are needy people. We're a needy people. We need you to bless us. We don't want to be discouraged people. We don't want to be defeated people, but the enemy is alive and is well and is constantly speaking into our ears. Father, I pray this morning that you help us to make decisions that you can bless. Help us make decisions with our wife, our husband, our kids, our church life, our financial. Father, help us to make decisions to the point where you can bless us. Oh God, bless this church, these individuals in this family. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The band's going to sing another song, but before they do, ushers, if you'll come, you'll take the morning offering. Again, God bless you. Uh, Hopefully, uh, those of you in small group tonight, uh, we're going to have communion and have a really good time with the Lord tonight. But uh, again, we love you, and uh, hopefully, as you leave this place, don't let Satan get the victory. Meditate on what you heard. Okay? God bless you this morning. Bam.